Welcome to Songs of Praise. We hope you enjoy the Christ-centered songs and that it brings healing to your soul.
sin, Christ suffered neath God's rage. Draped in his righteousness, I'm justified. In Christ I live, for in my place he died. His robes for mine, what cause have I for dread? God's daunting law, Christ mastered in my stead. Faultless I stand with righteous works not mine. Saved by my Lord's vicarious death and life. 
I cling to Christ and marvel at the cost. Jesus forsaken, God estranged from God. But by such love, my life is not my own. My praise, my all, shall be for Christ alone. His robes for mine, God's justice is appeased. Jesus is crushed. And thus the Father's pleased. Christ drank God's wrath on sin, then cried, "'Tis done. Sin's wages paid, propitiation won. I cling to Christ and marvel at the cost. Jesus forsaken, God estranged from God. But by such love, my life is not my own. My praise, my all, shall be for Christ alone. His robes for mine, such anguish none can know. Christ God's beloved, condemned as though his foe. He as though I, accursed and left alone. I as though he, embraced and welcomed home. I cling to Christ and marvel at the cost. Jesus forsaken, God estranged from God. But by such love, my life is not my own. My praise, my all, my praise, my all shall be for Christ. supplied and no good thing to me deny 
side. Since Thou my portion, Lord, will be, I ask no more complete in Thee. Yea, justified, O blessed thought, and sanctified salvation wrought, Thy blood hath pardoned bought for me, and glorified I too shall be. Savior, when before thy bar all tribes and tongues assembled are, among the chosen will I be at thy right hand, complete in thee. Yea, justify, O blessed thought, and sanctify salvation wrought. Thy blood hath pardoned, bought for me, and glory. I too shall be. Endeavouring to encourage, inspire, uplift and soothe, we hope you are enjoying Songs of Praise.
I'd love your heart, I've got your back. I'm amazed you're still amazed. I'm amazed you're still amazed. I'm amazed you're still amazed. Ye saints of the Lord, is laid for your faith in His excellent word. What more can He say than to you He hath said? To you who for refuge to Jesus hath led. Fear not, He. With us, oh, be not dismayed, for He is our God, our sustainer and strength. He'll be our defender and cause us to stand, upheld by His merciful Almighty. As Lord will press on enduring the darkest storm, and though even hell should endeavor to shake, He'll never, no, never, no, never forsake.
Psalm 92.1 It is a good thing to give thanks to the Lord, to sing praises to your name, Most High.
What wondrous love is this, O oh my soul, O oh my soul? What wondrous love is this, O oh my soul? What wondrous love is this that caused the Lord of bliss to bear the dreadful curse for my soul, for my soul, to bear the dreadful curse for my soul. I will see. I will see. While men.
It's our privilege to share songs of praise with our listeners on 3ABN Australia Radio.
hover over me, and I barely see the light. When I feel so down, it's hard to get back up. I just wanna see.
It's been a pleasure to have your company here on Songs of Praise. We here at 3ABN Australia Radio wish you God's richest blessings. Today, in 3ABN Australia Radio's book reading, we're continuing I Saw God's Hand by the late missionary pastor Elwyn Martin, Much of the book is set in Papua New Guinea and is broadcast with the kind permission of Amazing Facts. In our last episode, Elwyn tells the story of how pigs were destroying the school's gardens. One of the students, Likaveki, decides to take ten students and plant a new garden right where the pigs lived, believing that God would protect the garden without any fence because they had been faithful in paying their tithe. They believed that God would fulfill his promise and rebuke the devouring pigs. Continuing chapter 6, Likaveki's faith and the pigs. Months went by, and the rest of the students had repaired the old school garden fence and had replanted it. But Likaveki, while still directing their work, had lost some of his zeal for the old school garden. Then I noticed Likaveki and his ten boys coming in each evening with their backs straining under the heavy loads they carried. Never before in the Solomons had I seen the amount and size of the produce they brought in from their mountain garden. 
One morning I was busily packing our goods into cases and into one room of our house, a requirement when one is going south on furlough. Likaveki came and asked me to come for a walk with him, for he wanted to show me the mountain garden. I made all sorts of excuses, for I had allowed myself the barest minimum of time for the packing, and it would take at least three hours to walk out to the garden and back. Likaveki seemed hurt to think that I showed little interest in the garden, and I relented. We walked for about an hour along a slushy track about four or five feet wide, which was well trampled by the hoofs of wild pigs that came down from the mountains at night and out into the flats to feed on the Solomon Islanders' gardens. As I walked along that track, I was sure that it would not be possible to find one square inch where there was not a pig's hoof mark, as the whole track was a real quagmire. I was thankful that I had on high rubber boots. I stood aghast when I saw the garden. It was the nearest thing to the Garden of Eden that I have ever seen. The taro, a native root vegetable, grew to a height level with my eyes, compared to the usual four feet. The sweet potatoes were unbelievable, with the ground bulging under each sweet potato top. Pawpaws, pineapples, bananas, in fact all kinds of native produce were growing prolifically and were superior to anything I had ever seen in size and quality. I found it difficult to fight back the tears. For in my ears were ringing the words, O ye of little faith. I walked around the garden and observed that there was no fence and that there never had been one. As I was walking around in one corner of the garden, I found the hoof mark of a pig. I called out to Likaveki, who was standing about 50 yards away, Come over here and have a look at this. I pointed to the pig track. Yes, master, but that is as far as he dared to go. I am not prepared to say whether we should or should not fence our gardens. But I do know that the God we serve honoured the faith of those eleven sons of the Solomons. Chapter 7. A Son on the Altar Alma and I were compelled to remain in Australia after a term in the Solomon Islands because of the spreading tentacles of World War II. Our fellow missionaries in the Solomons also returned to Australia. Little hope was held out for our return to mission service because all shipping and air traffic was in the hands of the Allied forces. I was asked to join the engineering department of the Sanitarium Health Food Company at Kurenbong, where I had worked as a student during college days. This work required that I leave home early each morning and it was unusual for me to get home before 7pm each day. Because of this, I saw little of my two children during the week, except when they were asleep, but I tried to make up for this on the weekends. Bedtime on Friday nights was a real treat for them and for me. One Friday evening, after we had opened Sabbath and completed our evening meal, Leon, our two-year-old son, who was eating his last mouthful of walnuts, tripped 
as he ran to the bedroom where I was waiting to tell a bedtime story. He started crying, and apparently as he drew his breath, several pieces of the walnut were drawn down and lodged in his windpipe. A chubby little lad, Leon began coughing violently and coughed for hours, getting no relief. Toward midnight, I telephoned a doctor, Dr McMahon, and told him what had happened. He advised that this was a case for a specialist and urged me to get Leon to Newcastle as soon as possible. There were no trains running at that hour of the night to take us the 30 miles to Newcastle. We were almost beside ourselves. The little lad continued coughing hour after hour, his eyes, nose, mouth and throat swelling alarmingly. Before we could catch the train the next morning, a neighbour kindly took us in his car right to the specialist. The specialist examined Leon and said, Mr Martin, these little people just don't get better. Then he slowly added, to give him a sporting chance, I want your permission to operate immediately in an endeavour to recover the pieces of nut that undoubtedly have lodged in the lungs. My wife and I were heartbroken, for we had certainly lavished all the love we had on our two babies. The operation seemed to take hours. We waited and waited. Finally, a nurse came to tell us that the doctor wanted to talk to us as soon as he came from the operating room. He had operated through the throat, opening without making an incision. He had found where walnut pieces had entered the lungs in several places. He then said sadly, the operation was unsuccessful. So do not leave the waiting room. It will be only a matter of time. Leon was placed in a steam tent to help him with his breathing. But by the next morning his throat had swelled so that he had difficulty in breathing at all. When the specialist was summoned to the hospital, he asked for permission to operate again. He advised us that he would have to do a tracheotomy. In doing so, he would make a large incision that would enable him to get down into the lungs in a further attempt to recover the pieces of walnut. We anxiously waited for the results of the second operation. The doctor had promised to see me as soon as he finished, but he did not. Instead, he sent a nurse to tell us that the operation had been unsuccessful. The nurse added that the specialist could not face us. The tube in Leon's throat at least made breathing a little easier. I sat by his bedside hour after hour, but it was difficult to sit there and watch him going downhill. On Tuesday morning, the doctor came and told me that on no account were we to leave the hospital, for the end could not be more than a day or so away. My wife couldn't bear to stay long by Leon's side and watch him struggling to get his breath. So she sat in the waiting room day and night with a dear friend who stayed with her all the time. Tuesday and Tuesday night were long, weary hours, Wednesday dawned at last with little or no change in our boy's condition. Another long, weary day followed, and a night that seemed never to end. Thursday brought a marked deterioration. 
there was a heavy discharge coming through the breathing tube, making breathing much more difficult. At times I felt that he was gone and that the discharge had blocked the tube, but then there would be a suggestion of a cough followed by a lot of discharge. Then he would get a few breaths before having the same trouble again. When the specialist came on Thursday, he said, This is the end. An abscess has formed on the lungs. He can't possibly go through today. But he did. And through Thursday night, too. I thought every hour would be the last, for he was now fighting for each breath. On Friday morning, Leon fought on hour after hour, and now every minute I thought would be the last. Shortly after midday, in his fight for breath, somehow he dislodged the tube from his throat. He was rushed to the theatre, where the specialist tried unsuccessfully once again to recover the walnut pieces. He had thought that there might be a better chance because of the abscess. After his third operation, the specialist saw me and said, Mr Martin, we have done our best and failed. It is impossible for him to go through tonight. It's only that he is such a gallant fighter that he has lasted until now. We were right down to the lungs. They are in a shocking mess because of the abscess. He told me that he had put Leon's arms in splints so that he could not bend his arms to pull the tube out. Needless to say, all the way through, we had been praying earnestly for the touch of the divine hand. Leon was our one and only son. I tearfully watched hour after hour, expecting every minute to mark the end. About ten o'clock that Friday night, the nurse who had been on special duty with Leon was about to go off duty. She picked up one of Leon's splintered arms and with tears running down her face said, Goodbye, little man. Goodbye. I've held out all the way that you would come through, but the odds have been too much. She bent over and kissed his little forehead and fled from the ward. I had determined to stay with Leon till the end, until he was too weak, he kept saying, Don't leave me, Daddy. I assured him that I wouldn't. Every breath was a desperate, pathetic fight, and the heavy discharge being forced out between each fighting breath caused a stench that was more than I could bear. Falling on my knees, I said, Father, take him quickly, please. Don't let him fight any longer. After all, he is yours. You only lent him to us. I thank you for that. I then kissed him goodbye and left the ward. At the nursing office, I left word that I was going to the waiting room and asked to be called as soon as the end came. To be continued. Tune in again next week for the next episode of I Saw God's Hand, written by Elwyn Martin and read by Alan Lindsay.
let's listen to William Ackland as he shares a psalm from his paraphrase of the Bible called The Gift. Psalm 56 is another psalm that David wrote. And the point of this psalm is concerning when the Philistines had seized him in Gath. A prayer for relief. Please show your mercy to me, O God, for men persist in pursuing me. They never give up seeking to destroy me. My enemies keep hounding me without a break, and there are many who have joined the fight against me, O Most High. However, in my fear, I will trust in you. I depend upon the words of God, so in him I will put my trust. I will not be fearful, for what can mere man do to me? They constantly slander me, making me say what I did not say. Their plans against me are for evil purposes. They band together, then they hide, noting where I go, when they are in their hiding place, waiting to take my life. Shall they escape punishment for their iniquity? Bring them down to the ground in revenge, O God. You count my miseries, so store my tears in your bottle. Are they not recorded in your book? I am sure that when I plead to you for help, then my enemies will retreat. I know this, for God is with me. I will praise the word of the Lord. I will always be glad for what he says. For in God alone I place my trust. Therefore, what can people do to me? I will not be afraid. When I make a vow to you, O God, I must keep it. I will give my praise only to you, for it is you who have saved me from death. You have kept my feet from slipping, so that I may walk steadfastly before God. In the light he shines upon my path.